0: Let us come to God in prayer before we think about his word. Let us pray. Come Holy Spirit to soften our hearts that we might receive your word to us today. Come Holy Spirit to renew our minds and open our eyes. Come Holy Spirit with power and deep conviction for we ask it in Jesus name. Amen. Earlier we heard from Rachel about the Belong event that is coming up. And it really is an all-age event. It's not just for children and young people. Because part of it is about gathering alongside all ages to, to build up and to share our faith. And so we need adults to come along and to engage with adults both within and out with the church family. So please, if you can be there, be there yet it begs the question do we do you have a faith worth sharing in our multi-faith materialistic secular and scientific society is our faith worth having because I think many folk would probably look on at faith and see it as something you can just pick off the menu like, if you fancy a little bit healthiness, green beans, well, go for that if it takes your fancy. But me, I'm a, a meat guy and chips and that's what I want, so none of that stuff, please. Is it just like that? Is it a nice wee optional extra for a wee bit spiritual enhancement of life? Others will look on at religion and just see it as burdensome. A list of rules that it's completely boring and irrelevant to life. And so they might say, we might wonder ourselves from time to time, shouldn't we just give up on this religious stuff? Like, if we just did away with like all the religious like duties and responsibilities and activities, then we could just focus on what's really important, loving our neighbor and doing acts of kindness and mercy to one another. Surely that's what the focus would be. If we just did that, it would resonate so much more with our society. So let's do away with all that religious stuff well what do you think is it worth being a christian i think part of your answer will depend on what you understand a christian to be and that's why going through ephesians this first half of ephesians that we're going to look at before easter uh, it is so crucial for us because it focuses on identity i think if you were to ask paul too you'd he would have a very clear answer to that and he would say there is great worth in our faith and like any good preacher he'd have three points to share with you this morning around this passage three reasons why it is worth so much this faith of ours and to help him with that he'd take us he'd take the Ephesians he does take them back before that point where these chose to follow Jesus and he writes As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time. You were dead, spiritually dead, Paul is saying. But all of us also lived among them at one time. We're all spiritually dead at one time. And that might sound strange to our ears. We might think, well, you know, I'm physically alive and I feel a measure of joy and happiness and contentment and peace at times how can this be true and yet Isaiah teaches us in chapter 59 that because of our sin because of our waywardness from God it separates us from God it creates a distance and so we're cut off from God and if God is the source and giver of life then to be separated from him is to be then spiritually dead. And Paul's saying that is something that is true of all of us and all humanity before we have faith in Jesus. It's shown in how we live our lives, that you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We told God to take a hike. We wanted to go our own way. We wanted to, we gave in to the forces around us and chose them over God. Such is the captivity we have because of sin, because of our desires, because of the darkness, the self-centeredness that is deeply rooted in our being. Is it true? I remember when I became a Christian, and I came face to face with my own darkness and in that moment I could say that God could justly judge me because I came face to face with my darkness and it rears its head time and time again even in this past week it is there but this darkness is there in everyone even in the very good people that we know and love, who are part of our lives, part of our community. This is not overriding the other parts of Scripture that say that we're made in the image of God and so we have great capacity for creativity and love and sacrifice. We have all that because we are made in the image of God, but our image of God is marred. One commentator on this, John Stott, says this. You can see it. It's something you can see in people. Blindness to the glory of Jesus Christ and deafness to the voice of the Holy Spirit. No love for God, no sensitive awareness of his personal reality, no leaping in spirit towards him as Abba Father, unresponsiveness towards him as a corpse. We were created to delight in God, to know his nearness, to know his voice, to... To respond and praise and, and love to him. This past week, I was getting Ennis ready for his bath. And he's got to that stage where he very clearly knows how to play hide and seek a little bit. And so he hides behind the door frame this past week. And then he pops out. And he finds this hilarious. Admittedly, I find it hilarious as well. And he knows this. It's an incredible part of his development. So much fun. And so he does this for, I don't know, a minute or so and we just really delight in it and it's it was just so much fun. Uh, Much better than him throwing stuff in the bath and getting everything wet that he's not meant to get wet. So a good way to pass the time. But what happened in me was a natural rising up of joy and delight in in us because that's just a natural thing to do when a child is is showing this development and, and having fun and it just raises such joy and love with me. I don't have to try. It just happens. We were created to have the very same response to God. Without being able to see him. We were meant to have that same response, that same sensitivity, that same joy and delight in him. And, and yet we know that that's not the reality. We know that's not part of our lives and the lives of so many folk in our world. And so it might be hard to hear, but we see it played out time and time again, every day. The darkness in us, making us deaf and dead and blind to God. We reject him, we ignore him, we deride him because we are spiritually dead. And captives to forces within and around us. And if that's not bad enough, Paul continues he says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. And again we think, well, Paul, a wee bit extreme. Like steady on. Or is he just wrapped up in some dated human anthropology that pff, we've kind of moved on a little? We know a wee bit better now, Paul, two thousand years on. And yet and yet God's wrath is a good thing you ever thought how good God's wrath is? Because God's wrath is not a bad temper. And it's not when God is just like so fed up with us, he just wants to get, be a wee bit spiteful or malicious or just get it off his chest or seek revenge. That's not God's wrath. As one commentator put it, God's wrath is his refusal to compromise with sin and evil in his creation. It is his resolve to condemn it and seek its removal. I'm sure you can think of one or two war criminals, political leaders, human traffickers, sexual abusers, that you think, well, they deserve it. Rightly. And we'd celebrate that God is such a righteous being, so constant in his righteousness, that he will not compromise with sin. He will condemn it and he will seek its removal and we've no problem with that but when the spotlight is turned on you and me well we'd rather God you know fudged the facts adopted a little bit compromise, just a little bit God you know just a little bit I'm not that bad and yet he won't he can't if he's to be this truly righteous perfect being anything else would not be God. And so for a third reason, Paul says we're a people who walked the path of death. Some of the other translations say that rather than translating it that we followed the ways of this world, we, we walked in the ways of this world. We walked the path of death. We walked a path where we were spiritually dead, captive to forces within and around us and we walked towards a condemned future where the wrath of god would be our future and i know i'm mixing my metaphors with the picture here but the lighthouse is such a helpful picture here to explain what paul is doing in this passage as the lighthouse helps those on a journey to see what is beneath the surface and to give a warning that they might change course Paul says well this is true of our world this is the reality that's underneath the surface that so often we just ignore in our day because it's easier or we think we've moved beyond that but I know the darkness in my life and I know that this is a heavy start to a sermon I wasn't particularly looking forward to giving it But without the bad news, the good news is never as good. And if it's true, then why sugarcoat it? So, is our faith worth sharing? Well, you might not want to start with this. But at least let it shape and stir you. At least let it shape and stir you. Because if it's true, if you know that there's darkness in you then you, can, you know that there's darkness in others. And let it shape and stir you to want to share this faith, to want to pray for others to come into this faith and to find a different path. That rather than the path leading to death, the path might lead to life. Paul is helping us see that the Christian faith is not just some optional extra on a menu that if you fancy a wee bit of being religious then, you know, pick it off. That's not the choice we're faced with here. It's a choice of one path or another that he puts before us. It's stark. It's bleak. But it's not all he's got to say. Because he goes on to say this. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. But God acted. There are some passages in the the scriptures that start with, but God, and this is one of them, but God (laughs) acted. He's not up in heaven simmering away and a huff like we would do. He's not just waiting for us to get our just desserts or waiting for that moment to get his own back. He's not having a strop. Instead, so great is his love. So rich is his mercy. So deep is his kindness that God acted. He acted in our lives to get us back. To make us alive and in relationship with himself. If you're unsure of what the flow of the argument from chapter 1 into chapter 2 is. Then at the end of chapter 1, Paul is talking about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And he says at the beginning of chapter 2, As for you, you were dead. But in verse 4 and 5... You are alive. As the Father raised Jesus from the dead, so he has raised you from spiritual death to life. As the Father freed Jesus from the captivity of the tomb and seated him at his right hand so that all powers and authorities are under his feet, so too has the Father raised you and freed you from the destiny that you were held captive to by sin. All this and more God did for us while we were still telling God to take a hike, while we were still dead and hardened in our hearts and resolved to go our own way, and yet God acted. He pursued us, He gave Himself for us to draw us to Himself, to not give up on us. So rich is His love and mercy and kindness and you know friends we needed him to act we needed him to act not just to provide a way of salvation but to even make us able to respond one of the pr- outworkings of our previous point is that, is that if if we are spiritually dead and captive to forces within and out with us You cannot choose to respond in faith to Jesus without his help. And so, our forefathers in the faith spoke of provenient grace. The grace, the power of God that comes before our choice to make our choice possible. Not that we add anything to it, it's simply the receiving of a gift. But you can't even make that choice without his help is what that previous teaching would imply it doesn't matter so you have chosen to respond not because you're any more moral than the next person or you're more religious or you had a better upbringing or you're more clever, if there is anything in you that acknowledges something of Jesus, that responds to Jesus with praise, or with thankfulness, or are you have any appreciation of what he's done, it's not of you. God enabled that to happen so that you could respond at all. Because our spiritual deadness would just make us blind and deaf to all. And I hope that gives a measure of reassurance to some of us because as Paul goes on to say for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast none of us would none of us could choose to follow Jesus had it not been for God we needed him to act and he did you can see it in various scriptures like in Acts 16 where the lord is said to have opened lydia's heart she wouldn't have responded otherwise but the lord opened her heart so is our faith worth sharing i would say yes a second time because the faith we share is this god faith in this God, our good, heavenly Father, who loved with such depth and richness, was so overflowing in mercy and kindness that even towards such selfish, rebellious creatures, he found something worth loving. And he took our place rather than us having to face the wrath ourselves. Friends, do you see how wonderful God is? Do you see the value he places on you? Our faith is worth sharing. Our God is not distant or severe or uncaring. He is great in love. And in a day when so many feel lost and insecure and unloved and unlovely, he says by his actions, You are loved. You are of such value to me that I am willing to die for you. And it's not hyperbolic, just words. He has put it into action. He's not ready to write us off. He's not just leaving us to our own devices. Our God has acted. And so our faith is very much worth sharing. But Paul gives us a third and final reason why it's worth sharing. He says, God made us alive with Christ and raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For we are God's handiwork created in christ jesus to do good works which god prepared in advance for us to do we are alive with christ we are created in christ jesus something of god's handiwork paul says in second corinthians 5 he would speak of us being a new creation That if you're in christ you're a new creation the old is gone the new has come you're a masterpiece of god's handiwork not simply because you've been created we're all created a masterpiece in that way but now that you are spiritually alive you are a masterpiece in that way too something that that god has made that is wonderful wonder-filling that you have new life and with that life a new purpose there's a particular sentence here about a part of a sentence that i've never heard any of you talk to me about over tea and coffee um, seated with us seated us with him in the heavenly realms in christ jesus when was the last time you brought that up over tea and coffee probably never and we just skipped over it probably like oh what does that mean like bypass that weird language for a moment and yet that little bit of that little sentence is so so rich that i just want to dwell on it in a moment because it's another reason why our faith is worth sharing there's a real richness of biblical language around being seated And seated being seen in opposition to other positions of the body. And so, for example, being seated is in contrast to standing or to cowering. If you were standing, it's a position of kind of battle or readiness or striving as a position of rest. Or a fearful position where you are cowering, but again that position of rest as you are seated. And so this language of being seated with christ in the heavenly realms is in that position of rest and safety we're not having to strive with god anymore we're not fearful of god in fact we have no need to fear really anything but there's more to this this picture language here of being seated in christ that seated in chapter 1 for jesus means that he's at the right hand he shares the throne of god and that all things are under his feet he has all authority and power and yet we are seated in christ to some degree some way we are seated in christ on the throne of god i'm not saying that you have the throne so don't misunderstand me but in some way, you share in the authority and power that Jesus has. And that's a whole other sermon for a whole other time. But, but you share in something there. And what is more, the position of being seated. And of being seated at the right hand of God. Is in contrast to being in captivity as we noted from earlier. Those verses 2 verse 2 of following the ways of being captive to the ways to the world because a slave captivity was obviously language of being a slave a slave was obviously a, a position of um, shame you'd be derided as a shave you had no status Not everyone looked down on you as a slave but to be seated and to be seated at the right hand of god Is a position of honour. Of security. And all this is part of our identity. We don't think about it very much. We don't talk about it over tea and coffee. We probably never talk about it in our fellowship groups. Never mind over tea and coffee. But it's captured in some language of some songs. Like a a new song that I've been listening to. Where the, the authors wrote. We were the beggars. We were the spiritually destitute. We were so spiritually poor because we're spiritually dead. Now we're royalty. You're an heir and a co-heir with Christ. You're not just a wee number in his kingdom. It's not like you're part of some big, vast civil service where you're just hidden away in a little room doing your own thing. You're part of the royal family now. The royal family of God's family. That's who you are. And so you're in a position of security and belonging and purpose. We know from our own royal family here in the UK that royalty brings responsibility. And the same is true in your life royalty brings responsibility. We're called to a purpose. We're to be about the interests of the kingdom of God. And so, as Paul said in Ephesians verse 10, we have good works prepared for us to do. You've got a part to play. Every one of us. Across all ages and backgrounds. You might have just been following Jesus for a couple of months or even less time. You might have been. Uh, just always on the kind of outskirts of church and in the background but you have a purpose to play some of us also might be wondering why is god left me here as we mourn loved ones who have gone before us we wonder well why am i still here i feel no joy in life no place of belonging or identity And that is a very real experience. And Paul would similarly say, well, it is better to be in heaven. And yet, if we're not, then we're here with a purpose. God has got something for you to do. He's left you in the world for a reason. Because you have a part to play. You've got something to do. And we might hold back out of fear, and yet if we can learn to live in this identity, we have nothing to fear. Because we're seated in Christ. Is our faith worth sharing? For a third time, yes. Yes. And I hope something in you is saying yes as well. Because we've seen how God invites us into new life. Into a new life that has security and belonging and purpose. Because he's brought us from death to life. From captivity to freedom and honour. From condemnation to security and purpose. And all because out of his great love and mercy and kindness, God acted. God acted. So how are you going to act in response to today? We're not having prayer ministry this week. But nonetheless, we are called to act for this to impact our lives in some way. often on the door people are very kind and gracious to me and say oh I enjoyed the service today or you got me thinking and those are great encouragements and I don't take them lightly however this isn't a service to you did you know that our service is together and to God it's not the evening service or the morning service to you it's our morning service to God we come to serve God through praise and prayer and gathering around his word and thinking about what does it mean to live in light of who God is and what he's done and so if we come away from a Sunday morning and it goes in one ear and out the other We effectively offer a disservice to God. Because we're like, well, there was nothing really to take away from your word today, God. I'm not going to change my life in, in light of the goodness you are and what you've done and what you invite me into. So there's not prayer ministry, but how will you respond? How will you live differently today? That rather than continuing to walk in old ways and patterns, how will you live out this new life in Jesus? And so as you mull that over, let us take a moment to pray together. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, you have been whispering to our hearts this morning, putting something upon our hearts and minds maybe something to do maybe something to explore maybe an encouragement or a challenge something to change or something to share with someone and so we take a moment in the stillness to allow that thought to come to the surface, the one thing maybe that caught our attention today. Holy Spirit, seal that upon our hearts and minds and give us your grace your power to put it into effect to not be a people who simply listen to your word but don't change but to be true hearers of your word to us and a people that bring glory to your name for we offer our lives and not only this service to your glory and in Jesus name we pray